Medium enterprise companies form a third of the U.S. GDP. Not all medium enterprise companies aspire to get bigger, but they all need to run efficiently and remain agile. And to do that, and to grow, they need the right foundation. I'm Greg Thomas from Workday. Today on the Workday podcast, how does a medium enterprise company lay that solid foundation for growth? To find out, I'm joined by Jason Averbrook, CEO and co-founder of LeapGen, author and analyst. Welcome, Jason. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's exciting to be here. You're very welcome. Thanks for coming in. So, you know, maybe just before we, we really get started, like, what drew you to this topic in the first place? How did you become a guy who thinks about medium enterprises? So, th I think the thing that drove me to this topic is not as much medium enterprise, but the thing that drives me to the topic is the love and the passion around innovation. And really, when you think about medium enterprises, medium enterprises make up the the majority of the growth of not just the U.S., as you mentioned in your intro, but globally as well. So when you look at organizations that have been around for 50, 70, 90 years, you know, that are 50, 70, 90,000 employees, it's hard. It's hard to innovate. There's a lot of fossil there buried within those organizations, tribal knowledge, stale tribal knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. When we look at the medium enterprise space, one of the keys and the most exciting components of that is the combination of innovation, optimization, and imagination. And for me, when you can actually tie that into the concepts of people management, delivering people capabilities in new way, and truly thinking about how to use technology in ways that's never been thought of before, like that creates a really, really fascinating uh, dynamic. So it's not as much the medium enterprise as a label that excites me as much as the possibilities for innovation in that area. Almost what ME sort of means, right? Yeah, yeah, I love yeah. that. Innovation, optimization, imagination. Yeah. Um, so, so you wrote a book. You know, what inspired you to write the book? Yeah, so this is my second book, actually. My first book was called HR From Now to Next. It was, hey, no matter where you are now, there's going to be a next. How do you prepare for the next? This book was all about experience. And one of the things that really drove me to write the second book was, you know, in the last five years, specifically in the last five years, you know, organizations are behind when it comes to the technology that their workforce has in the palm of their hands or on their wrist or in their contact lens in their eye, whatever it is. And we've got this major, major opportunity within organizations that's a combination of, hey, we've got better apps that you use as a person than what the company gives you to work with. You've got better technology in your pocket than what the company gives you to work with. And you're used to a consumer experience because you're using your app 10 times a day before you get to work. So because of that, there's this chasm and, you know, and really what I noticed as I, you know, continue to work with organizations of all sizes in this space is that we disrespect the year we live in within business. So it's 2018, but inside the company, it feels like it's 1998 in most companies. Like we haven't hit Y2K yet. And that's a disaster <laughs> waiting to happen. So I have two boys, they're 14 and 11, you know, digital natives didn't grow up with fax machines, didn't grow up with phone books or any of that stuff. And as they're going to be preparing to enter the workplace as part of the workforce, there's this mega chasm. And that chasm to me is why this latest book, which is all about not how do you provide 
people transactions, but how do you truly create experiences for those workers? That's what's going to engage them. That's what's going to keep them. That's what's going to grow them. And that's what's going to make them help you grow your mid-enterprise, mid-sized enterprise organization to the next level. So you talk about this notion of the anti-fragile core. What is that and why is it so important? Within any organization, within any business, there's two types of data that make up your core. There's structured data and there's unstructured data. And when we think about that, the more solid our data foundation is, the more we can attach augmented technologies to it. So an example, if I have a good data foundation, I'm able to personalize an experience to someone because I know you like blue shirts. You know, I know that you like, you know, your glasses a certain way. And I know you went to this school. So I can create an experience that's personalized to you. If I've got bad data, I can't do that. You make bad assumptions. Right. If I'm trying to make sure that I deliver policies and procedures to you about what it's like to work in your organization, but I don't have good data, knowledge documents around what it is to work in your organization. How do I do something? How do I finish something? I can't deliver that to you. If I start to get really fancy and think about artificial intelligence, cool stuff, but if I don't have good data, I mean, it's like talking to Siri or Alexa, but doesn't have any connection behind the scenes. You know, hey Siri, what's three plus two minus seven plus eight? The way my 11 year old does his math today, Siri can't give an answer. Why? Bad data. So to me, that anti-fragile foundation, no matter what you're doing, is the core to innovation and growth going forward. And if you don't have that, you're at a huge competitive disadvantage, not even thinking about analytics mm. and reporting. Yeah. I like the way you described it as a foundation, right? Because if you think about what a foundation is in a house, in a building, Everything's on top of that, yep. right? Yep. And, it, and the way you described it, if it's not solid, things are going to go well, sideways. Well, and people in have the heard future. me, you know, in the space globally, talk about this concept of frosting on top of a moldy cake. You know, I mean, you could take AI, you could take analytics, you could take workflow, you could take any of these kind of augmented technologies that augment what we're already doing today and put them on top of bad data. And at the end of the day, it's going to taste bad. It might look sweet for a second, <laughs> but at the end of the day, that bite of cake is not going to be good. So, you know, these frosting technologies on top of a bad foundation, not a good taste in your mouth. Yeah. Uh, that's a very visual metaphor. I love it. Um, <laughs> Makes you hungry, right? It does make, well, maybe. Um, <laughs> so it really comes down to having that confidence in your data and the clarity around what it really is telling you. What it, what it contains, what it entails, so then you can do something with it. Well, and I think the other thing that goes along with that is this whole concept of data as not a regulation, but as a responsibility. Like, it is everyone's responsibility in the organization to maintain data, to look at data, to visualize data. It's not HR, finance, or IT's function to make sure the data's right. It's everyone's responsibility. So if your LinkedIn data is wrong, what do you do? Fix it. If your Facebook data is wrong, what do you do? Fix it. You know, it's everyone's responsibility. So when you think about that, we have to put a mindset in place in the organization that, hey, I might have great technology like Workday, but if I don't have the mindset that everyone's cleaning the data and making sure it's constant and core versus, hey, HR, finance, my data is wrong, what should I do? 
you know, those are two and opposite mindsets. So it's not just important to make sure that the data is right, but to make sure that we're putting in place the responsibility concept within all of our workers, that it's all of our jobs. Just like it's our job to keep the oceans clean, it's our job to keep our data clean. So what you're really talking about there is, is the idea that, that we all are stewards of some of the data, at least, in, in the organizations we work for. I'm responsible for updating my mobile phone. If I'm finance, I need to make sure that the data that finance is using is, is in good shape. Think about Amazon and reviews. Like we're responsible for creating content. Think about Facebook and Instagram if none of us created content. So not just making sure the data is correct, but also augmenting the data you know, with collaboration, you know, with ongoing discussions and things like that. So, you know, but that is a mindset. You know, if you take a technographic of an organization and say no one trusts HR, guess what? If I put out these new policies and new capabilities to drive collaboration and no one trusts HR, guess what the people are going to do? Nothing. So it's not just the technology. The technology is solid. But a lot of times it's the mindset and the getting the trust built in saying, this data is for you. It's not for us. We're not going to use this as big brother. You are going to use this to make workforce decisions. You are going to make this to be placed in the best career ladder or lattice possible for you. That's the value to them. And too often, we've, we market the value to us in HR and finance and not market the value enough to the employee and the manager. And in a mid-sized enterprise, that's truly important because we just don't have the headcount. We just don't have the headcount to maintain. We need to start small and get that mentality built at the beginning that we're all data stewards. There's a lot to unpack in that. So, you know, I can see in a larger organization, maybe it's a little bit easier to get some of these things done. Maybe not, but, but as you just put it, when there aren't that many of us, when we're in a smaller organization, when we perhaps need to be more nimble, when decisions might matter more because yep. we're dealing with smaller numbers, um, how do you instill that notion that, that we all are in this together and we all need to take care of this stuff? You know, it's value. It has to be tied to value. I mean, why do you update your LinkedIn profile? So there's some value to you, yeah. right? Why do you put something on Facebook? Why do you put something on IG? There's some value to you. So a transaction, like, hey, change your address. You know, is that a value to me? Maybe. Is it a value to me if at the same time I'm changing my transaction, it also takes me to my credit card sites where I change my transaction. At the same time I'm updating my address, it takes me to the postal service where I'm changing my address. And at the same time, it's giving me new discounts and perks about things that are happening in my zip code that I'm moving to. Oh, now all of a sudden there's more value to me in doing that. So we have to think like marketers and say, how do we get people to engage with these tools, not just to do a transaction, but to truly have an experience. And that's what the book talks about, is how do we create something that's gonna drive people from adoption to addiction? You know, and we want them to be addicted to using these tools and know that, you know, hey, if I'm addicted to this place where it's how I get my work done, that's where I'm gonna go, no matter what it is I need to do. And there's a ton, ton of magic in that. Right, and that is, what you just described is not how most people probably think about the systems that they use at work, right? They, they don't love them, they're not addicted to them, they're, they're not on them those 10 times a day. Uh, so what, what needs to happen, both at the technology level 
and the companies adopting technology to, to get to that experience. So what I talk about in the book a lot is that there's a concept of digital and there's a concept of technology. The digital equation is mindset, people, process, and tech. Tech being 10% of your success. So mindset, people, and process are the key. So what do organizations need to do? They need to have a vision as to what's going to make sense for their organization. Everyone has their own unique DNA and signature. They have to make sure that they know their people, how they work, how they like to work, how they like to consume information. Are they mobile? Are they at a desk? You know, are, are they, do they like paper? You know, they need to make sure that their processes are designed for the worker first, not for the HR or finance department first. And then once they do that, then they fuel it with the technology. But so many start with the technology and push it out to people without doing that upfront work and say, hey, if, they put, if we push it to them, they will come. And that's not what happens. So then who gets blamed? The technology vendor. And that's so backwards. So to me, it's how do we get from create, going from creating transactions to creating experiences? And the formula that we use for that is transaction plus interaction transaction plus interaction. So the more that I can put on my screen, not making it busy, but the more content to be able to help me complete a transaction and show me the V, the value, the more that's going to create an experience. So, you know, to me, long answer to your short question, how do I shift from a transaction mindset to an experience mindset? And if I do that, thinking about my audience that I'm trying to create the experience for, you know, my success ratio has gone up exponentially already. Yeah, you know, um, people talk about every company is a technology company today. What you've just said is also perhaps suggesting every company also needs to think about being a marketing company. How do you talk to your employees? How do you get them to come along that journey with you? Yeah, I think every company needs is a digital company today. And I think that technology fuels digital. And, and I say that on purpose as a response to what you said, because technology is just the fuel. You know, it's all that upfront work around what's our mindset, who are our people, how do our processes work, that actually f will allow that technology either to set fire, you know, and really create a burning addiction, or fall flat. Mm. So I think every company is a digital organization today. They have to think about how do they have technology to fuel it. What's the biggest barrier you, you see to, to getting there? Because the way you describe it is that it's not about the technology. It's about how we get the things in place so that the technology can almost do its job, if I could put it that way. So the biggest thing is mindset. And I hate to keep using that mindset, but, I'm gonna, you, but it is. It's the biggest thing. So it's people that are used to putting in transactional systems. It's people that are lifting and shifting from one system to another. It's people that are thinking that if I get to the cloud, all my problems are going to be solved. You know, and I'm all of a sudden the workforce is going to love this stuff. The world has changed. Like I said, in the last five years, the world of apps, the world of devices, and I'm only using five years because that's really when mass penetration has happened. You know, now, there's almost not a worker in the world that doesn't have a smartphone. There's almost not a worker in the world that doesn't install their own software. There almost isn't a worker in the world that has been exposed to a piece of technology through an app and deleted it within eight seconds because they didn't like it and don't go back later to see if it got better. That 
is the world we live in today. The world we live in oftentimes when we're deploying and implementing software is the world that ties back to, hey, let's just lift and shift. You know, or let's just celebrate the go live party. And then we take all our good people off the project and let it die. The go live need to, needs to equal go begin. And that's really, really key for every organization that moves to a cloud model of continuous improvement is once I'm live, like that's when I finally got my new car on a new piece of pavement and I'm ready to really have some fun. But the go, getting to the live oftentimes just wears people down so much. They're like, ugh, we just need a break. And then that's where the momentum goes, you know, really, really quickly. So, you know, to me, what gets people there is the mindset of continuous innovation, the mindset of don't just lift and shift, and the mindset that if I haven't redefined my processes in the last five years, more than likely they're broken because they were designed for the HR and finance department, not for the workforce. Yeah, and if I think about your foundation analogy, I've built a foundation, there's a house on top of it. That's the beginning of my life in that house. Right. It's not the end. But you know, one of the things that's really important about that foundational concept, just to explain it to you a little in one more step, is so so often what organizations do is they say, we need a four-bedroom house, we need two bathrooms, we need a kitchen, we need a living room, and we need a place where the kids can play in the back. I mean, that's what they do when they look for requirements for a piece of technology. But what they don't do enough of is how we're going to use that house how we're going to live in that house. So, hey, I realize that I, I have a uh, mother-in-law living with me who can't go upstairs. You know, and I realize that I want the backyard designed in a way where kids can pitch baseball, not worried about a wide, hilly lot. I need this. And I need to make sure that because I entertain a lot, I have a kitchen that opens up to a big living area. So that concept of designing the how I'm going to live in the house determines, hey, I've got this cool foundation, but how am I going to use it? And that's what so many people don't do. They just put the technology in like four bedrooms, two bathrooms, and a backyard versus this is how we're going to live it. This is how we want our employees and managers to use it based on who we are as an organization. And that's a that's, those are polar opposites right, towards well, success. And if I extend the housing metaphor, that's why I love my house, but maybe I don't love your house right. because we live differently. Right. Yep, exactly. Well, it's good to say all implement we want a cookie cutter implementation or we want a vanilla implementation. That oftentimes doesn't meet the it might need the need, meet the needs of the enterprise, but it oftentimes doesn't meet the needs of the worker because there are no two organizations that are alike. So what are some of your favorite examples of of either places where you've seen this concept, this mindset really take hold or ones where it's, it's sort of fallen flat. What have you learned from, from looking at, at the companies you've worked yeah, with? Yeah, we work with a major airline that's known for their high-touch model. And one of the biggest mindset shifts for them has been digital can be high-touch. So there's high-touch digital and there's high-touch human. And when they start to think of it that way, all of a sudden like, whoa. Yeah, we, oftentimes people want high-touch digital. They prefer high-touch digital over actually picking up the phone much more and, and calling someone. So for, that's one example of a mindset shift. You know, another, or, another example of a mindset shift is digital kills silos. 
digital truly kills silos. And in HR and finance, we operate in silos. So there's a recruiting function, there's a learning function, there's a performance function, there's an expense function, there's a GL function. But when an employer manager interacts, they don't want to know which silo. So think about you talking to Siri. You don't say music, rock, 90s, female band, and then all of a sudden name your band. You just say, play me a song. So digital breaks silos. And if we truly design our foundation and our experience right, our employees should never know how to navigate into eight different clicks or nine different functions. They should have one experience. I, I call it one IV. They should have one IV that if I'm trying to shoot some performance management capability through, it goes through that. If I'm trying to shoot some new recruiting or internal mobility capability, if I'm trying to do my expense reports, it goes through that one IV. So I don't have 184 IVs in my arm. I've got one IV, but the organization's able to deliver capability when they need it in an agile way. That's an experience through an employee lens, not through a business function lens. Yes, I would certainly much rather have one IV in my arm than 184. Yeah, you can tell I'm, <laughs> my analogies, right? Sorry about all the analogies. No, it's perfect but. because, I mean, that, that paints the picture, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what it can feel like if the systems and, and the experience is not set up for the person who's intended to consume the experience. Yeah, and we're, we're in a dangerous spot right now because we're, people are starting to build bots in silos. And the last thing I want, you know, which is where the, you know, the one platform really comes into play, the last thing I want is someone going to a recruiting bot, someone going to a performance bot, a learning bot, an expenses bot. Like, for a mid-size enterprise, that is not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. I'm not going to have the resources to do it. You know, mid-enterprises, I always say, mid-enterprises need to make sure their foundation is like riding a bike with training wheels. Like, you want to make sure that you don't fall, you know, because you're, <laughs> you're dealing with some awkward times. You know, you're growing fast. The strategy is changing very, very rapidly. You know, and if you don't, you know, if, if you have to build integrations to all these different things as your training wheels, something's going to break and you're going to fall off. So how do you keep as much as you possibly can with those training wheels on, you know, and add to that? you know, over time versus trying to integrate a bunch of stuff together on your own. Like I said, mid-enterprises just don't have the ability to do that. Yeah, I would think even purely from a staffing perspective, you, you can't have someone who's dedicated to recruiting, someone who's dedicated to learning. It, it's, it's not sustainable. Right. A lot of people think that mid-enterprises are different. Mid-sized enterprises are different. The only way they're different is they don't have the, the resources but you still hire people, you still fire people, you transfer people, you, do, you have to keep your finances, you have to do expenses, you have to make sure you're doing inner office transfers from a funding standpoint. It's, it's the same thing. You just have a lot fewer resources to work with. So the last thing you want to worry about is your technology integrations. What you want to worry about is how do I actually fuel this organization with fewer resources than what big companies have available to them. Yeah, yeah. How do we do our, our jobs, right? right. How, do, how do we service our customers yep. and have the systems, the mindset in place to help us get that done? Yeah, and, and just really quickly, a lot of people, because of that, think their implementations need to be mega quick. And, and once again, medium enterprise doesn't mean mega quick. You know, medium enterprise, because I've got fewer people, 
Yeah, it may mean I might need to think it out a bit more, even. I'm changing faster. You know, I need to be able to make sure that I've got three pit stops, you know, within three years versus one pit stop within three years because that's how fast my business is changing. Well, I would also think that you have you might have less margin for error. Oh, right? yeah, for sure. Yeah, for so sure. Those decisions are much more critical. You have to get them right. Yep. That's all the time we have for today. My thanks to Jason Averbrook for joining us at the Workday Podcast. If people want to learn more about this topic, where should they go next? Follow me on Twitter, at Jason Averbrook. Our company's website is www.leapgen.com. Follow us there. Uh, the books are on Amazon. Read Just the book. search my name on Amazon and you can find the book. Thank you so much, Jason, for coming in. And thank you for listening to the Workday Podcast. If you like what you heard please subscribe. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.